Welcome to GovIT, a monthly podcast series from DLT, where we focus on the next generation of public sector IT solutions with the technology innovators driving the change. I'm your host, Tom Tammen. Each month, we explore a different technology, what it is and how it can help public sector organizations achieve their modernization goals and accomplish their missions. In this episode, we're sitting down with Mark Gundrip, the Senior Director of Cybersecurity Strategy at Menlo Security, to discuss the cyber threat landscape that is heating up for the government and what you can do to prevent these attacks. And let's begin here. What are the current evolving cyber threats? I mean, this is always morphing. And do you feel federal organizations are prepared to deal with them? What's the landscape look like here? I don't think that the landscape is really any surprise to many people. I think you know, I think the the media headlines and everything around ransomware, around nation states, around everything that that's really being thrown at organizations, not just federal, but organizations as a whole, is really no surprise. I, I think what potentially is a bit more surprising or more of a surprise in there is that as a world, as an organization, as, as federal agencies, we're spending more and more on security, arguably more than ever uh, in terms of security, but we're also seeing the success rates of all of these threats going up and up. So we're spending more money to try and stop them, but it's not working. And so I think that kind of comes to the second half of your question here. Are organizations prepared to deal with them? I think a lot of companies, a lot of agencies believe that they are, but when the rubber hits the road, uh, I think the the attackers out there have had a long time to figure out what it is from a security perspective that's been put in place and how to get around those security guards so that they can actually get to the victim, the data, the system, whatever it might be that they're trying to get to. All right. And you have described this emerging phenomenon of heat attacks. Can any mitigation strategies now in place deal with heat attacks? Maybe tell us what they are and whether we're prepared for them. Yeah, absolutely. So so heat attacks, so heat is an acronym which stands for highly evasive adaptive threats. And this is really how we look at threat actors, how we look at the threat characteristics, really thinking about that initial access, that, that initial point where they take their piece of malware, their ransomware, whatever it might be, and actually get a hook into a network, into an endpoint. And so as, as we look at, at heat attacks, again, highly evasive adaptive threats, these threat actors, these groups have had a very long time to figure out what security strategies are in place, what security technologies are in place, and whether you're looking at this through a federal lens or or through a a corporate and enterprise lens, there's very little difference in terms of the actual technology that's in place to stop these threats coming through. So as we look at kind of some of the technical layers, the sandbox to look for content, your URL filtering, what's good, what's bad, your ability to, to spot a phishing email and say whether I should click on it or not, and then extend that out to SMS, to all the other Slack and, and other ways of collaborating these days. It's really about, I know what you've got, and I will find a way to get through it because I've got an arsenal at my disposal, and I'll just pick the techniques that will work for, for this particular instance, this particular victim. Sure. I guess attacking Slack, then you're really hitting the home base in that case. <laughs> and what are some examples of heat attacks? What are we seeing the form that they take? I think that there's some that are not new. There are some things out there that are pretty simple, pretty easy. You know, if, if you look at how do I get past your content analysis, uh, sandbox and go, well, if, if I know it has uh, a file size limit, let's say it's 100 megabytes, if I send you 101 megabytes, you've got to make a decision. You can't analyze it. It won't go through the system. What do you do? Do you allow it or not? So it can be as simple as that. 
but we're also seeing a lot more elegant ways of, of maybe evading detection with things like, and this is a term that's been out there by Microsoft and as well as Menlo and, and FireEye and a few others called HTML smuggling. So rather than actually just downloading a file, what if I split this thing up into four, five, six different pieces and I download them all in parallel and then when it comes through your security, your analysis, it's a file type you don't know, so you can't analyze it. It doesn't do anything anyway because it's just a little chunk of a file. And then when it gets to the browser on the other end, and I think that's the key thing here is that the browser is, has really become that central place of everything. When it gets to that browser, everything gets stitched back together into a file. That file is now sitting on an endpoint and it just got through all of the defenses that you have in place. And so, like I said, that, that's maybe one of the more elegant ways of doing this, but there's some very simple, old-fashioned, repeat them because they just keep on working techniques that the threat actors are using too. Wow. And do you think that government agencies, government organizations are especially prone to these types of attacks? Is there any way of preventing them, like that parallel download you mentioned that where it's reassembled by your own yep. system. So, so a government's especially prone to them. I certainly think they're especially targeted, obviously because of the sensitive nature of some of the agencies, the data they have, the companies they work with, and, and everything that they do. They're absolutely being targeted and not necessarily just on, on a US perspective, but on a global level, it doesn't matter what country you're in. There's somebody that's coming after them these days. What we've seen, especially with, with the HTML smuggling example that I gave, it's maybe a, a little bit more effort work to, to carry out that type of attack. So we have seen those techniques being almost saved for the high value targets, such as government, such as maybe a major financial institution. So I think there's, there's certainly attention being paid of what is the level of effort required for the payoff uh, of what the victim is. And, and government certainly ranks up there with the level of data information and everything that they have access to that would be very valuable to a threat actor and, and a nation state. And tell us about browser isolation. Can that help in this environment? What is it and how does it work and what can it do for you? Yeah, so so browser isolation and, and isolation technologies in general really give uh, one extra layer of protection against heat attacks as, as well as all, all threats that are out there. So rather than having uh, a direct connection from an endpoint, a device, a desktop, a browser going out to a website or an application, we have a layer in between, which is a cloud service. So your end user connects to our cloud. The cloud then stops that connection and connects back out to, to a website and application, whatever it might be. And so what that means, and I'll use my HTML smuggling example here, is that if an end user goes out to a website that is then trying to download something in the background, when that file gets stitched together, it isn't on the end user's endpoint. It's actually in our cloud. Uh, the attacker doesn't know anything about the end user. And when it's stitched together, we can look at that file and go, that's malicious. I'm not going to deliver that to the end user. So that extra layer of abstraction means that we get that extra bite to the cherry to really see what the threat actor wants their victim to see. And then we can make a decision as to yes, no, and what do we do with this? And can that process occur without harming the performance, say, of an application, one deployed to the public or one just used by the organization itself as a mission application? Absolutely. Whether it's a website, whether it's a SaaS application, whether it's a private application, you can actually apply it across all of these. Obviously, there are some technical requirements on the back end to make sure it scales and that performance is, is as expected, that website behavior 
behavior is as expected. So if you search restaurants near me, it'd better show you restaurants near you, right? You can't be located somewhere else on the other side of the country. And I, I didn't want to go to any of these restaurants. So that's a very simple example, but absolutely the whole point of isolation-based security is, is number one, that it is preventative rather than detective, but number two, that it is entirely invisible to the end user. Because if the end user can't see the security, they don't feel it, then they have no need to try and circumvent it. And if they start to see things that don't work properly, I have to take some extra steps, then they might think, well, maybe I'll do I'll do it on my phone rather than on my laptop and I'll just send the data across. So they'll, they'll try and work around it. So being invisible is, is critical. So in general, then, what should agencies be doing now to face off against these heat attacks and how can they get started to make sure they can prevent them or stop them? Well, I, th- I think there's a few things. Uh, number one, starting with, with zero trust and some of the directives that have come out of the White House about how to approach security as, as a mindset, as, as how we, we implement what we do. So zero trust, very important. I think shifting from a detection perspective where you have to detect and be right 100% of the time of everything coming in and out of your organization and shift from detection to prevention, then that will really put that solid front door in place that says, I'm going to, with my zero trust mindset, prevent everything that could impact me in a, in, a, in a negative way and treat everything as if it's malicious. And then I think thirdly, and ultimately, I think we just need to think differently. We need to do something different. We've kind of done the same thing for the last 10 years in terms of implementing security. And maybe we spend more on it. Maybe we do more of it. Maybe it goes a little bit deeper, but the technology underlying it is the same. So we need to think a bit differently. If we want to change the outcome, we've got to change the input. And I really think that's where looking at isolation-based technologies and securities actually starts to change that way of thinking and give the, the threat actors something they haven't seen before, something they don't know how to get through, and something that can stop those heat attacks. Mark Guntrip is Senior Director of Cybersecurity Strategy at Menlo Security. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. For more on Menlo Security and preventing heat attacks, please visit makeitneverhappen.com. That's makeitneverhappen.com. You've been listening to GovIT from DLT. We'll be back soon with more public sector IT content. I'm Tom Temin.